0: Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. The Resurrection of the Rattlesnake By Clark Ashton Smith Now, as I've told you fellows before, I haven't a red sense worth of faith in the supernatural. The speaker was Arthur Avilton— whose tales of the ghostly and macabre had often been compared to Poe, Beers, and Macken. He was a master of imaginative horrors, with a command of diabolically convincing details, of monstrous cobweb suggestions, that had often laid a singular spell on the minds of readers who were not ordinarily attracted or impressed by literature of that type. It was his own boast often made— That all his effects were secured in a purely ratiocinative, even scientific manner, by playing on the element of subconscious dread—the ancestral superstition latent in most human beings. But he claimed that he himself was utterly incredulous of anything occult or phantasmal, and that he had never in his life known the slightest tremor of fear concerning such things. Avelton's listeners looked at him a little questioningly. They were John Godfrey, a young landscape painter, and Emil Schuler, a rich dilettante who played in alternation with literature and music, but was not serious in his attentions to either. Both were old friends and admirers of Avelton, at whose house on Sutter Street in San Francisco they had met by chance that afternoon. Avelton had suspended work on a new story to chat with them and smoke a sociable pipe. He still sat at his writing table, with a pile of neatly written foolscap before him. His appearance was as normal and non-eccentric as his handwriting, and he might have been a lawyer, or doctor, or chemist, rather than a concoctor of bizarre fiction. The room, his library, was quite luxurious, in a sober, gentlemanly sort of fashion, and there was little of the outré in its furnishings. The only unusual notes were struck by two heavy brass candlesticks on his table, wrought in the form of rearing serpents, and a stuffed rattlesnake that was coiled on top of one of the low bookcases. "'Well,' observed Godfrey, "'if anything could convince me of the reality of the supernatural,' It would be some of your stories, Evelton. I always read them by broad daylight. I wouldn't do it after dark on a bet. That one about the invisible phantasm with bloody footprints, for example. <laughs> by the way, what's the yarn you're working on now? It's about a stuffed serpent that suddenly comes to life, replied Evelton. I'm calling it The Resurrection of the Rattlesnake. <laughs> I got the idea while I was looking at my rattler this morning. And I suppose you'll sit here by candlelight tonight, put in Shula, and go on with your cheerful little horror without turning a hair. It was well known that Avelton did much of his writing at night. Avelton smiled. Darkness always helps me to concentrate. And, considering that so much of the action in my tales is nocturnal— "'The time is not inappropriate.' "'You're welcome,' said Shuler, in a jocular tone. He arose to go, and Godfrey also found that it was time to depart. "'Oh, by the way,' said their host, "'I'm planning a little weekend party. Would you fellows care to come over next Saturday evening? There'll be two or three others of our friends. I'll have this story off my chest by then, and we'll raise the roof.' Godfrey and Schuler accepted the invitation, and went out together. Since they both lived across the bay, in Oakland, and both were on their way home, they caught the same car to the ferry. "'Old Avilton is certainly a case of the living contradiction, if ever there was one,' remarked Schuler. "'Of course, no one quite believes in the occult or the necromantic nowadays. But anyone who can cook up such infernally realistic horrors, such— Thoroughgoing going hair frizzless as he does simply hasn't the right to be so cold-blooded about it. I claim that it's really indecent.' "'I agree,' rejoined his companion. "'He's so damnably matter-of-fact that he arouses in me a sort of Halloween impulse. I want to dress up in an old sheet and play ghost or something, just to jar him out of that skeptical complacency of his.' "'The gods and little ghosties.' "'cried Shuler. "'I've got an inspiration. "'Remember what Avelton told us about the new story he's writing? "'About the serpent that comes to life?' "'He unfolded the prankish idea he had conceived, "'and the two laughed like mischievous schoolboys "'plotting some novel deviltry. "'Why not? (laughs) "'It should give the old lad a real thrill,' chuckled Godfrey. "'And he'll think that his fictions are more scientific "'than he ever dreamed before.' "'I know where I can get one,' said Shuler. "'I'll put it in a fishing creel, "'and hide the creel in my valise next Saturday "'when we go to Avelton's. "'Then we can watch our chance to make the substitution.' On Saturday evening, the two friends arrived together at Avelton's house, and were admitted by a Japanese who combined in himself the roles of cook, butler, housekeeper, and valet. The other guests, two young musicians— had already come, and Avelton, who was evidently in a mood for relaxation, was telling them a story, which, to judge from the continual interruptions of laughter, was not at all in the vein for which he had grown so famous. It seemed almost impossible to believe that he could be the author of the gruesome and brain-freezing horrors that bore his name. The evening went successfully, with a good dinner, cards— and some pre-war bourbon, and it was after midnight when Avilton saw his guests to their chambers and sought his own. Godfrey and Schuler did not go to bed, but sat up talking in the room they occupied together till the house had grown silent, and it was probable that everyone had fallen asleep. Avilton, they knew, was a sound sleeper who boasted that even a rivet factory or a brass orchestra could not keep him awake for five minutes, after his head had touched the pillow. "'Now's our chance,' whispered Shuler at last. He had taken from his valise a fishing creel, in which was a large and somewhat restless gopher snake, and, softly opening the door which they had left ajar, the conspirators tiptoed down the hall— toward Avelton's library, which lay at the farther end. It was their plan to leave the live gopher snake in the library, in lieu of the stuffed rattler, which they would remove. The gopher snake is somewhat similar to a rattler in its markings, and, in order to complete the verisimilitude, Shuler had even provided himself with a set of rattles, which he meant to attach with thread to the serpent's tail before freeing it. The substitution, they felt, would undoubtedly prove a trifle startling, even to a person of such boilerplate nerves and unrelenting scepticism as Avelton. As if to facilitate their scheme, the door of the library stood half open. Godfrey produced a flashlight, and they entered. Somehow, in spite of their merry mood, in spite of the schoolboy hoax they had planned— and the bourbon they had drunk—the shadow of something dim and sinister and disquieting fell on the two men, as they crossed the threshold. It was like a premonition of some unknown and unexpected menace, lurking in the darkness of the book-peopled room, where Avilton had woven so many of his weird and spectral webs. They both began to remember incidents of nocturnal horror from his stories— happenings that were ghoulishly hideous, or necromantically strange, and terrible. Now, such things seemed even more plausible than the author's diabolic art had made them heretofore. But neither of the men could have quite defined the feeling that came over them, or could have assigned a reason for it. "'I feel a little—creepy,' confided Schuler as they stood in the dark library." "'Turn on that flashlight, won't you?' The light fell directly on the low bookcase, where the stuffed rattler had been coiled, but to their surprise, they found the serpent missing from its customary place. "'Where is the damn thing, anyway?' muttered Godfrey. He turned the light on the neighbouring bookcases, and then on the floor and chairs in front of them, but without revealing the object of his search. At last— In its circlings, the ray struck Avelton's writing-table, and they saw the snake, which, in some mood of grotesque humour, Avelton had evidently placed on his pile of manuscript, to serve in lieu of a paperweight. Behind it gleamed the two serpentine candlesticks. Ah, there you are, said Shuler. He was about to open his creel, when a singular and quite unforeseen thing occurred he and Godfrey both saw a movement on the writing-table, and before their incredulous eyes, the rattlesnake, coiled on the pile of paper, slowly raised its arrow-shaped head, and darted forth its forky tongue. Its cold, unwinking eyes, with a fixation of baleful intensity, well-nigh hypnotic, were upon the intruders, and as they stared in unbelieving horror— they heard the sharp rattling of its tail like withered seeds in a wind-swung pod my god exclaimed shuler the thing is alive as he spoke the flashlight fell from godfrey's hand and went out leaving them in soot-black darkness as they stood for a moment half petrified with astonishment and terror they heard the rattling again and then the sound of some object that seemed to strike the floor in, falling. Once more, in a few instants, there came the sharp rattle, this time almost at their very feet. Godfrey screamed aloud, and Shuler began to curse incoherently, as they both turned and ran toward the open door. Shula was ahead, and as he crossed the threshold into the dim-lit hall, where one electric bulb still burned— He heard the crash of his companion's fall, mingled with a cry of such infinite terror, such atrocious agony, that his brain and his very marrow were turned to ice. In the paralysing panic that overtook him, Shuler retained no faculty except that of locomotion, and it did not even occur to him that it would be possible to stop and ascertain what had befallen Godfrey. He had no thought— No desire, except to put the length of the hall between himself and that accursed library and its happenings. Avelton, dressed in pyjamas, stood at the door of his room. He had been aroused by Godfrey's scream of terror. "'What's the matter?' the story-writer queried, with a look of amiable surprise, which turned to a real gravity when he saw Shuler's face. Shuler— was as white as a marble headstone, and his eyes were preternaturally dilated. The snake Shula gasped. The snake, the snake something awful has happened to Godfrey. He fell with the thing just behind him. What snake? You don't mean my stuffed rattler by any chance, do you? Stuffed rattler yelled Shula. The damn thing is alive! It came crawling after us, rattling under our very feet a moment ago. Then Godfrey stumbled and fell, and he didn't get up. I don't understand, purred Avilton. The thing is a manifest impossibility. Really quite contrary to all natural laws, I assure you. I killed that snake four years ago in El Dorado County, and had it stuffed by an expert taxidermist. "'Go and see for yourself,' challenged Shuler. Avilton strode immediately to the library and turned on the lights. Shuler, mastering a little his panic and his dreadful forebodings, followed at a cautious distance. He found Avilton stooping over the body of Godfrey, who lay quite still in a huddled and horribly contorted position near the door. Not far away was the abandoned fishing creel. The stuffed rattlesnake was coiled in its customary place, on top of the bookshelves. Avilton, with a grave and brooding mien, removed his hand from Godfrey's heart, and observed, "'He's quite dead. Shock and heart failure, I should think.' Neither he nor Shuler could bear to look very long at Godfrey's upturned face— on which was stamped, as with some awful brand or acid, an expression of fear and suffering beyond all human capacity to endure. In their mutual desire to avoid the lidless horror of his dead staring, their eyes fell at the same instant on his right hand, which was clenched in a hideous rigidity, and drawn close to his side. Neither could utter a word, when they saw the thing that, protruded from between Godfrey's fingers. It was a bunch of rattles, and on the endmost one, where it had evidently been torn from the viper's tail, there clung several shreds of raw and bloody flesh. Hello, ladies and gents, Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.